Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Seven Stage LSAT Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Henry Ewing, and I'm joined with my other lovely co-host, Asta Sinha. Great to be here today to talk about a super, super fun aspect of this test. I feel like I say that every week to just try to convince myself that this test is super fun and we're all having such a great time. Hey, it's always a good time. Do you remember that song? Do you not remember that song? One more time. Whoa, uh, it's always a good time. Okay. How do you, do you not remember that song? I do, I do. Just you butchered it so bad the first time I, you said it. I, I actually nailed it. That's Carly Rae Jepsen. No, I know the song. I know And the song. Owl City. I cannot believe I didn't know that Carly Rae in oh, Owl City. Oh, you didn't City. know that? I didn't know who, who was by. Carly Rae Jepsen Supremacy. She's iconic. Woke she came in, right dropped like three songs, and then the got bed. out of there. But I love her. What was the other one? She, did she, what else Call did she Call Me do? Maybe. Oh, that song slapped. Call me maybe. That's not even how it goes. Bum, Anyways. Bunch match you. Yeah. Okay. Talk about butchering. Holy cow. <laughs> I cannot believe I was getting flamed for butchering a song. Call you know me what? maybe. I never. What? <laughs> it's not how it goes. So call me maybe. I was kind of close. It's hard to look right. Dun, dun. Okay. Okay. I never claimed to be a singer, but I do claim to be good at arguments, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Start us off, Henry. What are we talking about today? Yeah, uh, you know, if you're in the glass, he who was in the glass house should not throw stones. I'll just throw that out there. Take from that what you will. <laughs> you're so dramatic, Henry. <laughs> Arguments. What's going on? Arguments. All right. Arguments. Why do we make them? To convince people that we're right To convince all the time. people of things, right? Yeah. But why are we concerned with arguments? Because the LSAT is a test of arguments. Truly. But it's not a test of good arguments. No, no. Never. Not, okay, we can't say never. I, there's a couple there's a couple good arguments on the, like complete arguments i think on the test are there maybe just a few there are i mean i guess like the point is parallel parallel method of reasoning valid arguments sure there are a lot of flawed arguments on this test i go as far as to say is like the lsat like at its core a vast majority of these questions it's the lsat's a flawed test right like it's testing your ability to point out like what is going wrong and people on the lsat not just the LSAT takers, but I'm saying like the people who are making arguments on the LSAT make mistakes all the time. They do it constantly and they do it on purpose. They're trying to trick you. They're trying to get you. Something I like to imagine, and I know Henry, you disagree with me on this, but it helps me get through this test is imagining the LSAT writers on these like big fluffy chairs. Like, you know, the start of like a villain scene where like the chair is turned around and it's like the biggest chair ever and you turn around and it's like the dumbest person you've ever met in your entire life. Because when I think about them writing these arguments on the LSAT, I'm like, that's so wrong. And that's, it's my job to figure out why those LSAT writers are wrong. And I think there's something like so satisfying. Maybe it's just like being a competitive person, but I think there's something so satisfying and like, like getting one on the LSAT writers, right? Like being able to look them in the eyes figuratively and be like, gotcha there. I see what you're doing and I'm better than you. That's mm -hmm. my two cents. It's life and death. I agree. The L <laughs> I'm not saying that's what I was picking up. <laughs> that's not what I'm trying to say. That the else is if, life and death. It's really a test of good versus evil. Yes, you are saving the world by doing well on the outside. We're trying to be a force for good here at Seven Sage. That's that's what we're all about. Absolutely. <laughs> It's so funny that you say the LSAT is a flawed test, because I feel like that would totally be like a five-star question on this test, right? Like, you know, oh, the LSAT is filled with flawed arguments, or is it, it's a test filled with flawed arguments, therefore it's a flawed test, right? Yeah. You know, or something like that. That'd be a little five-star. <laughs> no, or something like that. But I, but I get, I, I take your point, right? It is a test of flaws. And one of the things about this test is a lot of these flaws share a very similar structure. 
There's a bunch of common flawed argumentative, argumentative structures, common flawed argument forms, common flawed argument forms. Just common flawed arguments. I also just like... My brain is flawed right now. You Jeez. know what? Right now, always, it's okay. I'm like <laughs> standing up from my chair right now because I feel very strongly about this. And I know you disagree with me, but I'm going to speak my truth anyways. The LSAT writers are incredibly boring people. They are not creative. They just do the same stuff over and over again and they phrase it a little bit differently or they'll like put a little extra like oomph on it and try to get you. But at the end of the day, like being great at this test, I think it just comes down to seeing past the nonsense and the fluff and the roadblocks that the LSAT writers put in front of you, right? If you can internalize this idea that everything on this test is repetitive, everything on this test is a pattern, they just do the same thing over and over again. I think you're a lot better off when you're studying. When I was studying, something that helped me get through like a really big plateau was just realizing like, oh, like this LR question or this logical reasoning question, I saw this last week. It's just about heartburn instead of potato farming, right? But it's the same thing. Same thing with RC, right? Every single, a reading comprehension passage, every single one of them is basically some variation of the other one. Same thing with logic games, right? Like I feel so passionately about this that the LSAT writers are boring. They're not creative. They do the same thing over and over again. And it's your job to pick that apart. I agree. And just a nice tie-in to last, week, last week's episode, right? It's that the words will be different. The structure of the sentences will be different. Yet, nevertheless, the meaning will be the same, right? The underlying, the sentences will be phrased differently. But the, the underlying structure of the argument will be very similar to things you've seen before and even questions on the same section. And so what we are planning to do, right, segue here. I don't know if that's a good segue. I'm not known for segues, all right? But, you know, I... I went for it. Okay? I'll follow along. I'll follow along. I went for it. All right. Just, you know, give me some encouragement. <laughs> That's all we could ask of you. Good job, Henry. I'm proud of you. You're doing so well. So what we'll be doing is we'll be looking at some more common flaws or flawed, flawed argument forms that appear on this test. And by the way, in general, one of the things that's so nice about something like this, right, or, or what we'll be talking about is there's like a very real, there's a real world tie-in. The segue is that we will be talking about common flawed arguments and the forms of them. And also we'll have some real world examples. You'll see these in the real world. It's one of the things that makes studying the LSAT enjoyable is to realize there's a lot of real world tie-in. Say that 10 times. Our goal is that by the end of this episode, you'll be able to recognize at least a handful of common argument flaws on the LSAT. And once you have these in the back of your head, right, you realize that these are things that happen, you should be able to see them happen over and over and over and over and over again on this test. Mm -hmm. I, I cannot emphasize enough how repetitive these questions are. And nearly every single flawed question or flawed argument that you have on the LSAT is going to be one of these really common flaw types. Now, this is not a exhaustive list. Obviously, there are going to be other types of flaws, but these are the ones that Henry and I kind of picked out that we see happen the most often. Yeah, and and, and just bouncing off of that too, it, it's not an exhaustive list. And also, the goal is not for you to memorize the names and the definitions of all of these flaws. The goal is just to give you some exposure to them, right? I, I never care if someone knows what a false dichotomy, like what the name for false dichotomy is. What I do care is that when they see that, they realize, like, okay, I've seen this before. And they know, wh they know why, right? Why that's flawed. Something's wrong here. Yeah. Should we jump into it? Let's jump. So the first very common type that I see on this test is a necessary sufficient condition confusion. Now, if you're listening and you're like, Asta, what is necessary and sufficient conditions? Go back to listening to episode seven, okay? Go back to last week's episode. We break it down in like 30 million different ways. You'll understand it, right? But if you... Fair-weathered listener. What does that mean? 
What'd you just say? Fair, fair, like a fair-weathered friend. Do you know what a fair-weathered friend I've is? I've never heard that before. I think You've you're just You've never heard of fair-weathered friend? No, fair, no. a fair-weathered friend. It's like someone who, who's only helpful when it's convenient or it's advantageous for them to do it too. It's like, oh, you're a friend. Like, you'll come over when the weather's good. Oh, I see. I see. You're right. So, this you is... know, these these people, you know, they're not diehard. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. That was... <laughs> the point it, is, I, if you don't understand <laughs> what a necessary and sufficient condition is, go back to last week's episode, we break it down. But a very common flaw that we see on this test are argument mixing up the necessary and sufficient confusion, right? Or condition. So an example of this is let's take these two sentences at face value and then we'll talk about it. So these two sentences are, I can get a 180 on the LSAT only if I study. I studied, right? I studied for the LSAT. So I'll get a 180. Is that a valid argument? No, that's not a valid inference you can make. If you remember... Where did I go wrong? Right. Well, (laughs) you had a sufficient necessity confusion. (laughs) I Also, I can't say that. What is with my mouth today? (laughs) I think it was the sandwich you ate earlier. My tongue's not working. <laughs> Aren't you allergic to your dog? Like, maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot wrong with me. In any case, if you remember, right, how you would translate both of these, I can get a 180 only if I study. So if 180, then study. Uh, the next sentence, I studied, so I will get a 180. If study, then 180, right? Those two things have one has a sufficient condition as 180 and the other has the necessary condition as 180 that's not something you can do the the more obvious example of this or translation of this would be to say if i have an apple then i have a fruit i have an apple or i have a fruit therefore i have an apple right you you look at that you think well obviously you can't say that sure if you have an apple then you have a fruit but if you have a fruit well maybe you have another fruit you you don't necessarily have an apple that example is really carrying so much weight like we have stretched that apple fruit example so far we've beat yeah we've beat this apple to death I know, but it's a good it's a good example though because I think a lot of people intuitively get it. So when you look at something like I can get a 180 only if I study. All right, well, what does that mean? It means that hey, look, I got a 180. It must have been that I that I studied, but there might be a bunch of other things that you need right to get a 180 that are necessary to get a 180. What are, what are some examples of this? You know, purchasing Seven Sage monthly plus live. With access to expert live instructors. You know, all those things. Listening to the Seven Sage LSAT podcast. All of those things, right? That is what is necessary to get a 180 on this test. Right, right. So from there, right, just because you've studied and you haven't purchased Seven Sage LSAT live prep plus, you haven't listened to the LSAT, Seven Sage LSAT podcast. All you've done is studied. Well, that doesn't mean you'll get a 180 then. So that's not a valid inference you can draw from the two. Is, is this making sense? I think so, right? It's essentially saying that we're mixing up the sufficient and necessary conditions. And like Henry mentioned, right, the apple and fruit example is very clear. Maybe this 180 studying example isn't as clear. But the more you familiarize yourself with that, right, the more you can spot that, the easier your life is going to be, right? Because they do this all the friggin' time. They do this constantly. So just be looking out for that. Be looking out for that. Be on the hunt. You'll see it a lot too. This is this has to be the most common one. I, I would argue that the next one we're about to do is the most common one. I haven't like run the numbers, but I think this next one, yeah. Yeah, these are the two these are the two greatest hits, I'd feel like, on on this test. Yeah. The heavy hitters. So this next one is so, 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 so common, right? Like I don't want to put a number to it, but like a lot of the flaws on this test come from correlation versus causation. Yeah, I've got a word for you. Many. <laughs> if you've taken like 10th grade high school psychology 
or I don't know, like ninth grade biology, any class ever, you've probably heard that phrase that correlation does not equal causation. But for some reason, when it comes to this test, people just forget, right? Like people just forget that that's not what that means. An example that I hear a lot in trying to explain why correlation doesn't equal causation is ice cream and drowning. So if you look at a graph of ice cream sales, right, across the year, and you look at a graph of drownings across the year, right, drownings in swimming pools, let's say, the graphs are very similar, right? They peak at around the same time. It's not because eating ice cream causes you to drown in pools or that drowning in pools causes you to eat more ice cream. It's just because when it's hot outside, people are both eating ice cream and going to the pool more so they're more likely to drown in the pool. That's just because those two things are correlated. Just because they happen at the same time doesn't necessarily mean that one thing causes the other. Right. So those, those two things, what I'm hearing you say, right, is that those two things are derivative effects of the same cause the cause being hey it's warm outside right being it being warm outside causes you to eat ice cream it being warm outside causes you to go to the pool and possibly drown i know it's a morbid example but another because it's like it sounds so silly to say that ice cream causes drowning but right an example that this test uses all the time for some reason i feel like i notice this all the time is like blood pressure medication or like heart disease medication the argument will say something along the lines of like a hundred people took medication X and their risk for heart disease went down by like 50%. Therefore, this medication, you should take this medication if you want to reduce your risk of heart disease. Oh my God, no, right? Just because those two things happen at the same time doesn't mean the medication is what caused your risk for heart disease to go down. Maybe you started going on hot girl walks during that time and your risk for heart disease went down. Or maybe you started eating omega-3s. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. But the point is... Maybe you started using 7 Sage Prep Plus. (laughs) While you were studying with the LSAT, which it's caused you to. That's <laughs> a crazy claim to make. Which just, which just alleviated the stress of studying so much. Are you saying that purchasing 7 Sage Prep Plus will make your risk for heart disease lower? Hey, we don't know. I'm not saying it does. Oh my God, but you're not saying it doesn't? I'm saying it's a possibility. Hey, can we not ask questions? I'm just asking questions here. You know what? Great question. I'll I'll look into that. But the point is, right, even though it seems like, oh, they started taking this medication and then their risk for heart disease went down, right? Oh, it must be because of the medication. No, it's not because of the medication. I don't know if it's because of the medication, right? Do not take something that is correlated to mean that one thing causes the other, right? It could be something else. They could just be randomly correlated. Who knows? But don't do that ever, ever, ever. No, and just to to add to, also, like, when you see a correlation, it also doesn't mean that there's not a causation between the two. Maybe they have the causation backwards. Maybe. Right, yeah, maybe there is a correlation between ice cream and drowning, right? And they make the inference, like, hey, correlation between ice cream and drowning, therefore, eating ice cream causes drowning. You can't make that, right? Because all you have is correlation. It's possible, I don't know, drowning causes people to eat ice cream. Yeah, maybe they're like recovering from drowning. They serve it at the funeral or something. I don't know. Yeah, something. I I know that that is morbid. That is morbid. That's (laughs) awful. But, uh, you know, point taken, right? That it's possible that one causes the other or the the what you thought was the effect is actually the cause yeah so that comes up a lot let's let's move on from this though it's just this is dark i know i know it's dark but like this correlation causation thing like this was your example let's just add that this was asa's example i don't think that's true actually correlation causation flaws are super 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 common on this test you should be familiar with it you should know it you should have alarms ringing in your head when you spot it 
Okay. Yeah, I'm and, ready to move the, on. Anytime you see a study, that's the first thing I, I, I tell my client to think, right? Is to think if they're new to studying, right? You see study done. Correlation does not equal causation. Now, of course, that's not to say that every single time you see, you know, you see a study on the LSAT, maybe there isn't a correlation versus causation flaw, but it happens enough that I feel like you should mention it. And by the way, real world example, this happens all the time. Oh my God, constantly. And, and it's in science. I shouldn't, it's not to like bash on scientists. They're very good. When you read a study or you read like how a scientist talks, they are very careful to avoid mentioning causation. The example I, I always like to give, right, is you talk to a scientist, they, they will quite frequently say, hey, when the temperature reaches zero degrees Celsius, we notice that water freezes. They don't say like, you know, that causes the water to freeze. They'll say like, when we see this, we often, we will see this occur, right? That's the correlation there. They are very careful to, to talk about causation because causation is very hard to prove. It's almost impossible to prove, right? It is so, so, so difficult, right? If you want to prove causation in like a scientific study, you have to control for literally every other factor. Like it's so, so difficult to prove causation in anything. Any medical report that you read, any science experiment that you look at, like it is so hard to prove causation. Causation. Right. And yeah. And also, too, they it's like, you know, you, you read the news then and they're like, oh, scientists discover a link between whatever X and Y right between cancer and gummy bears or whatever. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm looking I'm looking at some gummy bears right now. <laughs> And of course, the, head, the, the way the headline's written, it, it almost implies some sort of causal effect there. And then you read the study and you realize it, all it is is a correlation, right? And the scientists will be very sure to say that. So when you see any sort of study, I want you to think that, listener. Correlation doesn't equal causation. I, yeah, I shouldn't call them. Yeah, listener. Listeners. They're friends. Fine. They're our friends. I want you to think that, Jason. <laughs> It'd be so embarrassing if there isn't a Jason who listens to our podcast. I'm hoping there's a Jason that's listening. It's like, oh, hey. <laughs> Hey, Jason. So the next big one is something that I think causes like a lot of stress among test takers is when there's math involved on the LSAT, right? I get it. You want to go to law school, probably because you're not very good at math. That was part of my reasoning, at least, right? And then you see numbers and percentages on the LSAT and you're like, ah, this is the exact thing I was trying to avoid. It's okay. It's okay. The LSAT writers don't expect you to be really good at math. What they do expect you to do is understand the difference between an absolute number and a percentage. So don't freak out when you see math on the test, when you see numbers on the test, it's not that serious. We're going to walk through an example and talk about why it's not that difficult. So the example that we've got here is 90% of people who do triathlons are lame. Okay, 90% of people who do triathlons are lame. It sounds like a lot of people then. Yeah. yeah, right? Maybe millions of people, right? If 90% of people who do triathlons are lame, well, it's got to be the case that millions of people are lame then, right? Should I go with it or should I go into, <laughs> should I go into excellent? Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Who, <laughs> no, is that, is that correct? <laughs> no, that is not correct, right? Why is that not correct? Just because 90% of people who do triathlons are lame, we can't derive a real number from that percentage. The reason why is, well, how many people do triathlons, right? How many people do triathlons? What if there's only thousands of people? who do triathlons, not millions. Well, 90% of them are lame. Well, you know, we can't then draw the inference that millions of people are lame then. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a very common idea on this test. Well, they'll say like, wow, look, so many of this group of people are lame or have this attribute. And then they derive a real number from that. And you, you can't do it unless, unless, right? You know, unless you know how large that group is, but they'll never, they will never do that. It is very rare. I don't, I, I don't want to say never. But it's, I've very rarely seen it happen. 
happen, right? I don't know if I've ever seen that happen. I've never seen it happen, but just because I've never seen it happen, hey, I mean, hey, I mean, oh, actually, we're gonna talk about that in like just a minute. <laughs> yeah, just because I've never seen it happen, that doesn't mean it's not true. Nevertheless, it happens enough to when you see percentages, you got to think like, okay, this is all I know, right? I know that a percentage of this group, in this case, I know that ninety percent of people who do triathlons are like. By the way, I'm a triathlete. That's why this is there. This is not just us. <laughs> I'm not dissing on everyone who does triathlons. It's just Henry. It's mostly because of me. We're at the point of the podcast where we start demeaning Henry. Well, it's uh, just when it I'm thinking it, it of never, an example. It will always come. <laughs> it's just natural, right? Like, why do you come up an example of numbers v percent? You remember when we were writing this? I really sat there and like thought hard about like what other examples I could use, and it's the only one that exists. It's the only numbers versus percentage flaw. <laughs> Yeah, it, 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 you thought of it quickly, too. One thing I will say, too, and just speaking on the numbers slash percentages thing, is that there is no expectation that you should do math, right? They, they don't think you're going to whip out the calculator, right? Or start, you know, carrying the one over, doing actual hard math. They're not expecting you to actually do numbers, writing, using your scratch paper for numbers. However, your testing, like how this test goes, will be so much easier if you do understand some mathematical concepts, right? One of them is numbers and percentages, other things like ratios. That will be useful to you. Do you like need to know it? Probably not, right? I think there are, there's often ways to get to the right answer that don't involve that. However, if you do know it, it, be- it gets a lot easier. I feel like that's something that we say a lot over the course of this podcast. Like if you know this thing, your life will be easier, right? Like that's our goal, the path of least resistance, right? Like how can we get you to your goal score as easily as possible, right? That's why we recommend learning and understanding all these different concepts. Not because we're just trying to be annoying and overcomplicate the LSAT, but no, we genuinely think that these skills are going to make your life easier. And the easier your life is when you're taking the test, the better you will do. So I just wanted to throw that out there. So I've got one more thing that I want to mention about the numbers v percentages concept is this idea of over and under representation. I don't see it a whole lot on the test, but I've seen it enough times and it's tripped people up enough times that I think it's worth mentioning. And the reason I think it's tricky is because they're throwing out these different percentages and these different numbers. And sometimes it's hard to tell what those numbers are actually trying to convey. So one example that I want to give of this is let's say, Henry, I tell you that a very small percentage of politicians are athletes. Very small percentage of politicians are athletes. I don't give you any numbers or anything, right? Just a small percentage, let's say 10. Then I go and tell you that means that athletes are underrepresented, right, in the political space. Is that a valid argument to make? No, that wouldn't be a valid argument to make. Where'd um, I go wrong? Because, well, you've told me that 10% of politicians are athletes. It's a small percentage, right? I mean, maybe some might argue that's a large percentage, but in this example, right, it's a small percentage. That must mean they're underrepresented. But what we would need, right, is what percentage of the general population are athletes? What if only 5% of the general population were athletes? Well, hey, actually, they're overrepresented, right? They're overrepresented in the political space. And so what I'm hearing you say is, this is a, like representation, it's a comparative claim. Exactly, right? If you're going to make any sort of claim about over or under representation, you need to know, right, what the the original group that we're working with is, which is the general population, right? I can't say that somebody is over or underrepresented if I don't know anything about the general population. So I just want to throw that little tidbit in there. It happens enough that it's worth kind of knowing about. 
Yeah, it come it comes up a lot on on this test, and, and also too in in real life, this is a very very common idea where people will point at a you know the, a very small number or very small percentage of you know one type of person it sits on you know some sort of position of power, and from there they extrapolate. Well, oh, it must mean that you know they're underrepresented, underrepresented, under. Oh my God! Again, you okay? <laughs> You okay over there? <laughs> the Henry tongue twisters are everywhere. Uh, the follow-up, though, is you need to know more information, right? You need to know, well, okay, well, like, how many of those people are out there in the real world, right? How many people with this attribute exist? Things like that. And like um, you and- said earlier, that's a really great segue to comparative statements, right? And that's another really common flaw that gets thrown around, right, on, on, this, on this test. So give me an example of a comparative statement, Henry. Right, okay. Well, a comparative... <laughs> Oh my god. Again, with what is going on here? First we're this is really triathlons are terrible. I know we keep go- we keep going with this. All right. Uh, this with love, uh, Henry. On the copy we have Henry is super cool. Oh, I you know I, I, I sorry, is- you know, it's like my my mind w- refused me to read it, but okay, I'll, I'll go to try. Asta is super cool. So Asta must be cooler than Henry. That's that sounds much much better. Right. So <laughs> Yeah, what is what does this mean, right? Asla is super cool, so so Asla must be cooler than Henry. You know, therefore Asla must be cooler than Henry. Why is this not an, a valid inference you can make? Well, all we know is that Asla is super cool. We don't know how cool Henry is. Obviously, Henry is more than super cool. I don't know what what's what's higher than super cool, or let's not say obviously. Super Henry duper? might be. Yeah, Henry might be super duper cool, right? <laughs> sure, Asla is super cool, but what about Henry? Right? What about him? Yeah, what about what about Henry? You know, maybe he's super duper cool. Well, then we couldn't make the valid inference that Asla is cooler than Henry because hey, look, Henry is super duper cool. I I sound so dumb when I say that. I shouldn't say dumb. It sounds so silly when I say that Henry is super duper cool, but I do believe it. <laughs> I do believe it. As long as you tell yourself that, Henry. But it happens a lot. And the one variation of this that I've seen a number of times now is about height. Alex is taller than Jessica, so Alex is super tall. Well, what if Jessica is like 4'10", bro? Like, then maybe Alex isn't super tall. Who knows? Right. Yeah, so when you're given the the comparative between the two, and going back to, you can't derive a real number from that. We have a comparative statement here. Alex is super, wait, taller than who? Jessica. I don't know. I just pick random names. Yeah, Alex is, I, you know, I, I'm looking at Austin Henry here. Uh, <laughs> right, Alex is taller than Jessica. Well, okay, but does tall, like, all we know is that Alex is taller than Jessica. What if Jessica's four feet tall, right? Maybe Alex is super tall then, right? Or maybe Alex is seven feet tall. It's possible, but we don't know, right? And because we don't know, it's not a valid inference to make. So when you see two things compared, you want to think a couple things. Like One, I don't know any absolute values here. I don't know if, I don't know, you know, the exact height of someone. Second, you also don't even know if the, the comparative quality between the two is, is held by one of them, right? In the case of, or in this case, right, we have Asta is cooler than Henry. That must mean Asta is cool. Maybe, right? But as you and I both know, we are both incredibly lame, right? So sure, you're cooler than me by a hair, maybe, yeah, on a good day, on a good day. The bar is so, so low, The bar right? is so low. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you take a zoom out between, in, you know, you look at, you know, everyone, you realize, that, okay, Austin, Henry, well, we are very far on the not cool <laughs> spectrum. It's dark good down God. here. It's a sad, sad life. It's no. not cool. It's hot. <laughs> it's, it's burning. <laughs> what are you implying, Henry? I, I feel bad <laughs> I to know. move on to the next thing that we have on the list, which is ad hominem arguments, because I'm old. Oh, my. <laughs> how am I not noticing this? This is crazy. Well, He's in keeping with the theme, right, at least bad. we're consistent. 
<laughs> Talk to me. So ad hominem arguments, right? It's another very common argument flaw that's used in real life. But on the test, essentially, it means instead of attacking the actual argument that someone's making, they're attacking the person who's making the argument. So a very common way this plays out on the test is, let's say there's an activist group, right, against... I don't know, an anti-Walmart activist group. So let's say the argument goes, a bunch of people in this community does not want a Walmart to be built in their area, right? They don't want a new Walmart. And then the person responding to the argument is like, yeah, well, that's dumb because all of those people are anti-Walmart activists. So why should we believe what they say? Or why should I agree with what they say? Hey, well, just because they're anti-Walmart activists doesn't mean that their argument doesn't have merit, right? That's a terrible way to to kind of point out what's wrong with that argument or what could be wrong with that argument. Right. Well, because like, I mean, we can draw up the example even further. Like maybe the Walmart is, I don't know, maybe the people say, well, we're building this Walmart for evil or something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I feel like we shouldn't use walmart like i i like walmart i, I feel too. like walmart's fun to go to i didn't want to use the example we had on the paper which is henry is dumb so i don't believe anything he said i guess you know we could use something like environmental like environmental like activists right people who hate gas companies or something and they'll say hey i hate gas companies and they'll be like you know they just yeah they get my blood boiling so then they're protesting a project and they say like well hey why should we believe anything they say right why are they protesting this pipeline they just told us the, the they hate gas companies right they're not it's not in good faith therefore they're wrong Right. Yeah, therefore, they're wrong. Right. Or why should you believe them? The problem is, right, is that maybe they have very good reasons to protest the, the, the gas company that, that don't involve just just their hatred for the gas company. Right. It, maybe that that pipeline goes over some penguin nest. Where are we? I don't know. It, it, just <laughs> just roll with it. Right. Just roll with it. <laughs> Maybe there are very good reasons to not build the the pipeline. And so you'll see this. All, I don't want to say all the time, but it'll happen a good amount where they'll say like, hey, look, this person has an agenda. So the conclusion of their argument is wrong when their argument might, in fact, be very good. I totally agree. I totally agree. So cool. We got down to the very last major flaw that we want to talk about. And then you're going to get a 180 on the test. That's all you need to know, right? Yes. This, this <laughs> is all it takes. So the last kind of invalid argument form or like argument flaw that we want to talk about is an absence of evidence. So the example that we have here that I think it's, you know, kind of helpful to start off with is there's no evidence of anyone ever having seen a ghost. Therefore, ghosts aren't real. What do you think? Right. So in this case, so the absence of evidence, this is actually a part of a larger group of things, right? We say like, hey, look, I've never seen a ghost before. Therefore, ghosts aren't real. This is like Hume talks about this is the problem of, of induction, right? It's just because something <laughs> has been true in the past doesn't mean it will be true in the future. Philosophy um, major is jumping out right I now. I know. Sorry. I, ha I have to talk about it. <laughs> So just because there's Good. no evidence for something, that doesn't mean that the lack of ed evidence constitutes, you know, for the opposite of the claim, right? So just because we don't have ev any evidence that ghosts are real, we can't then conclude that ghosts are not real. This is kind of uh, like a silly example. I mean, I don't, do you believe in ghosts? No, I don't. But for the listeners out there, when Henry and I were planning out this episode and we gave that example, he just randomly texts me this like Reddit thread of a ghost spotting. And I have been so on edge ever since. Like, I have been freaked out because of that. So thanks, Henry. I've actively lost sleep because of that picture that you sent. Yeah, I know. It's, it is scary. It's scary. I was thinking about it last night and I was like, oh, why did I even look at that? Why did you show me that? I could have lived my whole life not knowing that that picture existed. I don't know. I hated that picture, too. But maybe like a more relevant example, too. And, and the one that often gets used is this idea of like white swans and black swans, right? Where someone, they come into the world and all they see are they've only seen white swans. 
in this pond and they think, okay, it must be that all swans are white. Well, obviously, I mean, you and I know that all swans aren't white, right? There are some black swans. So all it takes is a black swan to come along for them to destroy, you know, that claim that all swans are white. The other way this goes, it's a slight variation on this. It's it, it's very similar in the group is that, and the LSAT does this frequently, where they'll give a very bad argument for something, for some conclusion, right? They'll give a very bad argument for Coca-Cola being the best soda. And because the argument is very bad, they then say, well, therefore, Coca-Cola is not the best soda, right? Your argument for Coca-Cola being the best soda is very bad. So it must be the case that Coca-Cola is not the best soda, or it's, you know, the worst soda. It must be the case that you're wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. We can't say that, though, right? Just because the argument is bad, that doesn't mean that the conclusion is bad. Very common. We see this very often in real life, I feel like. And as I say this, as I blank on any real life examples well, <laughs> that I guess, are relevant like, an to me. An example that like, I, I would think of is, let's say you're at, let's say, a debate competition, right? And you and your teammates are competing and you're so excited. And what if your teammate gets up there and just says the worst thing that you have ever heard in your entire life? You're like, oh my God, like if I had been the one to get up there, I would have made such a better argument. Just because your teammate did a bad job doesn't mean like whatever they were arguing for isn't true anymore, right? They just did a bad job of convincing you, right? They just didn't do well. That doesn't mean that the whole principle has gone out the window. You just need a little bit more practice. I don't know. Yeah. But that's the example that comes to mind. Yeah. You could think of like, I don't know, something like every time I clap the sun has risen right like in the morning i clap and the sun has risen something along those lines like whatever i clap therefore the sun will rise right or something like that well we're obviously i mean this this touched on a lot of like correlation versus causation a bunch of different things right so obviously that the, the argument is bad right there's no causation between or maybe the argument's not actually that bad but let's say the argument's bad right like you and i don't believe right <laughs> that the clapping is it's what's causing or the clapping is what's causing the sun to rise here. Nevertheless, the sun might rise, right? You, you wouldn't from there conclude that, oh, Henry's argument about how like, clapping is you know, leading the sun to rise, he clapped, therefore the sun's going to rise. Yeah, I don't believe in that argument. Well, it must be the case that the sun won't rise tomorrow. Yeah, right. Like, that's just ridiculous. Right, exactly. So, and this comes up a lot in a more subtle form. So that's something to be on the lookout for where, they'll, in, you know, in a flaw, they'll say like, hey they'll they'll make an argument and then they'll be like hey that argument's so bad therefore your conclusion's wrong don't do it the rounding out there is is mostly that on the L set we are are skeptics we aren't pessimists that's our a great job way of putting is it. yeah right our job is really not to take any position <laughs> in, <laughs> in a sense right it's not really about taking a stand it's mostly saying like hey i don't know if what you say is true right i don't know if what you're saying is true it's not like what you're saying is wrong a lot of it is just saying like hey your argument's not very good i'm unconvinced doesn't mean i i believe the opposite claim no that's a really really great way of putting it i think i will push back a little bit though i agree that when you're reading arguments you are a skeptic not a pessimist but when I'm thinking of those LSAT writers, oh my God, am I brutal, right? I am, I am taking a stand against them. And I, I think if you can kind of, something we said in the first episode is gamifying the LSAT and studying for the LSAT a little bit. I like to do something similar when I'm trying to look for flaws and arguments, right? Like how many can I find? Like I'm on the hunt. Like I am looking for right. what makes Hunters. this argument run. <laughs> Hunters in the night. In the night. <laughs> and the, the more that you kind of think... <laughs> The more that you kind of think about it that way, I think the better you get at identifying these things. So, you know, between last week's episode and this week's episode, right, conditional logic and flaws and arguments, those are two of, I would argue, to be two of the biggest pillars in your foundational understanding of this test, right? If you can get through those two things and really become masters at them, you're good. You're you're really good, right? You're in a really good place. You're on the right path. Yeah, you're on the right path. Absolutely. You're in a good position. 
cool. So hopefully that helped introduce some different argument flaws to you guys. Go study, go learn them, go try not to memorize them necessarily, but try to understand them. Review. I, you... I think review is the better way to put it, right? You, you can memorize them, not needed, right? It's, it, but it's good to know the, the form, right? You don't have to go and memorize the name of it, right? Like, oh, this is a fault, whatever, you know, this is a, a percentage versus real number. Just You just know what, what, what it does, right? You see a percentage, know what it can do and, and what it can't do. Things like that. Know its limits. Know yourself, know your worth. <laughs> once you get towards the end of that looking at these arguments to me at this point has sort of just become like a vibe check right like i am so familiar with these argument flaws and i'll read the argument like okay are the vibes off yes all right that's probably what's wrong with it right that's that's the level that you want to be working towards to be able to vibe check all these arguments and then get all the questions right you know that's what we do here at the seven stage all podcast yeah vibes thanks for listening everybody stay tuned for next week's episode and happy studying for more lsat study tips visit sevensage.com. See you next week.